Hey, this is Anthony Vecino from Invictus Capital. And if you want to leverage your message to gain deeper influence and build a lasting legacy, you should be listening to Stories That Sell with my friend, Scott Ramage. You have the knowledge, the experience, and the talent needed to succeed. But in the day and age we live in, skill is not enough. Your story is the most powerful tool in your arsenal. This show will help you tap into that resource and learn how to leverage your message to gain deeper influence and build a lasting legacy. Tune in each week as thought leaders, entrepreneurs, and authors share how they built empires on the backs of their story. You're listening to Stories That Sell with your host, Scott Ramage. Hey, everybody, this is your host, Scott Ramage. And on this episode of Stories That Sell, I have Anthony Vecino. Anthony is a best-selling author, a real estate investor, and a serial entrepreneur committed to helping people maximize their return on life. He is a co-founding partner of Invictus Capital, a multi-family acquisition firm based in Minneapolis, and so much more on this guy's bio. He has been a semi-pro snowboarder, a chess champion, a professional rock climber. He started multiple multi-million dollar businesses. Uh, of course, he's had some that have failed, but you really need to tune in. There are so many great lessons. And this guy is a master of quotes. I was so impressed. This is an awesome interview. And I totally failed, guys. I totally failed. I did not let Anthony tell us how you can get a hold of him at the end of the podcast. So Listen carefully. You can go to the show notes and all of his links are there. InvictusMultifamily.com, AnthonyVicino.com, MultifamilyInvestingPodcast.com, the pod, the PassiveInvestingBook.com. And then he's Anthony Vicino at LinkedIn and on Instagram. He is the Anthony Vicino, which you should follow. He does live videos. They're awesome. Um, and he's on Facebook. It's Anthony.Vicino. Again, InvictusMultifamily.com is the, uh, the top place you should go look for him, but check him out on all the socials and enjoy this interview. Hey, everybody, before we get started, I want you to imagine having a full team of virtual assistants helping you out with everything from scheduling appointments, nurturing leads, processing payments, sending out marketing emails, creating content, managing your social media, and the list goes on. VAs for Gyms is here to make sure your business runs as smoothly as possible so that you can focus on what matters most, serving your clients. We offer a wide range of services that will completely run your business and give you the one thing everybody is limited on, more time. Check out the website at www.vasforgyms. That's V-A-S-F-O-R-G-Y-M-S. I almost didn't spell that correctly. Uh, to book appointment and kind of just find out what we're all about. Now we get to chat with Anthony. How are you doing, man? I'm fabulous. I had myself muted there while you were doing your ad read, which was spot on. It was really good. <laughs> Done it a few times, you know? It, it, yeah. Yeah. Practice. Practice helped. Nailed it. Yeah. So, man, like, tell us a little bit about yourself. I'm, I'm really pumped to get into this because I know a little bit about you and what I know is pretty exciting. So, not, not that you have to live up to that, but. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, yeah. You're already starting, like. <laughs> uh, the expectations are so high now. 
no, I appreciate you having me. This is going to be a lot of fun because uh, just from the little bit that we chatted right before the show, I was like, yep, this is a kindred spirit. We're going to have, we're going to have some, uh, a good chat. So about me, the thing that you really have to know um, beyond all the, the things that everybody puts in the bio, which is things like best-selling author, serial entrepreneur, real estate investor, like all these, all these things, like that stuff is all cool. But really the interesting part is the fact that I have really severe ADHD and my path through life that led me to the point where I'm at right now, it's less about all the, the, the boxes I was able to, to check or the things that you, you, you accomplish and more like the struggle that went behind it. And I struggled a lot, honestly, with ADHD, really trying to control my my biology and my mind. And I think this is something that everybody really struggles with regardless of whether or not they have ADHD, which was like the diagnosis de jour back when I was a kid, like everybody, everybody has it, right? Like, but the thing is like, how do we actually control our physiology, our minds to be able to like, I, I, I think of it in terms of like unleashing the greatness that we all believe that we have inside of us. And so for me, the way this really manifested was I went to college, got all these degrees, did really, I struggled in school, struggled at that point in my life with uh, keeping a job. I was getting fired all the time and was having a hard time in relationships. And the only thing that I knew for sure coming out of school was that I wasn't going to cut it in the corporate world. So I had to go and find my own path through life. But the problem was I didn't know what I really wanted to do. And so I went off seeking freedom and <laughs> kind of like Peter Pan shirking responsibility a little bit where I could just go and do the things in life that I wanted to do. So I became a professional rock climber right on. and did that for about a decade, which sounds really cool. Like, <laughs> don't get me wrong. Like, but really what that means is like, I lived in a tent under the stars more nights than not. And I was dirt poor. And that was really cool until I tried to marry this woman. And I went to her parents and I was like, I marry your daughter. And they looked at me and they're like, how are you going to provide for our daughter? And I was like, oh my God, I have no clue. I've never had to face that question before. But suddenly the outside world, society expectations were butting up against where I was in my life. And I could no longer just kind of hide out in the mountains if I wanted this goal of this girl. And ultimately that relationship didn't end well. And I found myself living in the back of a van, $80,000 in debt, homeless, <laughs> <laughs> bummed and sad and with no skills and like no real direction. And a buddy of mine, he's like building a company at that point. And he came to me and I think it was part act of mercy, part act of seeing some potential and said, Hey, let's do this thing together. And at that point I had no entrepreneurial spirit. Like I'd never, I wasn't the kid that ripped up flowers and sold them to the neighbor. I wasn't that guy. I didn't, I didn't know the first thing about building businesses, but at that point, like, what else are you going to do? And so I said, sure. And we built a, a high rise window washing company, which was a kind of a weird application of skill sets because as a rock climber and having rock climber friends, like everybody's really good on ropes. And so we found this unique niche where we could deliver value to the marketplace faster and cheaper than the competitors could. And next thing you know, we had built this thing and I was like, oh my God, that was a lot of fun. Building businesses is really cool. And during this period, I was also really, really wrestling with, again, my ADHD and trying to figure out how I could tap into this potential that I, I sensed was inside of me. Because Maslow talks about the fact that he has this quote, which is something to the effect of that which we can be, we must be. 
And so it's like this recognition that inside of us all, we believe that we're above average. Like everybody's an above average lover and everybody's above average driver, right? Like we all think we have greatness. And if we're not living in alignment with that greatness, or at least moving towards it, we feel discontent, frustration, anger, sadness, like all these things. And that's where I was. And I was like, I don't want to feel this way. I want to unleash this. And so I was working really hard trying to gain self-awareness and create a life for myself that would allow me to wake up in the morning and actually tap into the potential that I knew I had. And in the course of doing that, like bit by bit, I, a lot of things didn't work, but some things did. And I kept stacking the things that did work until I got to this point where I looked back and I was like, oh my God, like, I'm not at the mercy of this, this thing anymore, uh, the mercy of ADHD. Now I control it. Mm. And from there, I just started applying those skills and those habits, those routines that had allowed me to kind of control my self and started applying them to businesses and then went on to build a manufacturing company and then went on to build a real estate investing firm and wrote a bunch of books along the way. And so that's like the really long convoluted answer, but that's what you get from a guy with ADHD. So. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, ADHD, isn't it really just saying you don't fit the status quo? You don't fit the school yeah. system. You don't fit a corporate job. I mean, like really, if you, if you look at it, do you feel like it's served you more than it's hurt you? Absolutely. Yeah. When I look back, so the thing that's really interesting about ADHD is it stands for attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. And the, the thing that confuses people is they think that means I can't focus. And that's not true. What it means is that I can't always control what I'm focused on. But when I am focused, I go into what's known as a hyper-focused state. It's a lot like the flow state where you're just operating in perfect alignment with your body, your mind, time disappears, and you are just in the zone. That's hyper-focused. And this is why people with ADHD will literally sit in a house that's burning down around them, continuing to play video games. It's because they are so locked in. And it can be debilitating, yeah. but I learned how to create the environment around myself that would allow me to get into that state. And once I did that, I found I was not just 10 times, but like a thousand times more productive than when I wasn't in that hyper-focused state. And it's the same with flow state. Like if you can get into the flow state, you can maximize your productivity by 500% is what the studies show. And so like, if you can do that consistently, you get so much done in such a small amount of time. And people look at you and they're like, how is that even possible? And it's only because you're able to turn this thing that was once a perceived weakness. And for a long time in my life, like I couldn't control it. So it was a weakness. But once I understood what it meant to, to turn the tables on myself, so to speak, it became a strength. Yeah. I mean, how long did it take for you to build this, uh, this high rise window cleaning business? I mean, like what, what did that look like? I'm trying to, I'm, what I'm trying to do is kind of like connect that hyper-focus, that, that, yeah. that energy and what that, how that's played out in building businesses. So we grew that from zero zero dollars to over seven figures of, uh, of recurring revenue in one year with about 10 employees. And then from there went to the next endeavor, which was a manufacturing company that we grew from zero to 5 million in the span of three years. And then uh, I've written 12 best-selling novels in science fiction fantasy. And those were all in the span of a three-year window. So I wrote 12 novels in three years. And then on the real estate side, we've acquired about $25 million of real estate just in the last three years. So it's not like, when, I'm not saying any of that in a way that like should be like, oh, that's really impressive. It's just to kind of give context of like time. And once you understand how to apply the proper leverage, you can, you can do 
and achieve really incredible things relatively quickly. And I think the problem that a lot of people get is that they have the lever, they have the lever, but they're put in the, in the wrong place. Right. And so the thing that I just figured out, I got lucky in a lot of ways was like, Oh, I have the lever and that's where you put it. So. Yeah. I, I, I don't know, luck or talent. I mean, building a, a multi-million dollar business in five years, three years is really difficult to do. I mean, I don't think, I don't know if people really grasp, you know, even hitting a million in your first year, what that looks like, unless you're doing large sum, you know, sales or something of that nature. But your first one, you're talking about a service industry, you're talking about probably a recurring monthly like service or quarterly service for a building. And um, that, that takes, that takes a lot of focus. Mm-hmm. And in a, in a time period, what's interesting about the window washing company, people won't realize this, this was in the Bay Area. So the thing that people won't realize is that our, the window washing season is actually only like six months long. Mm-hmm. The other six months of the year, it's too rainy, too cloudy, too dirty. Like people don't wash during that period of time. So you have this condensed period of uh, time to get these things done. Now, like I listed all the things where I was successful, what I, which you'll notice is that I left off a lot of the things that I failed at. And one of the big issues is, I really occurred that like hit me smack in the face was I was coming off this high of having built a number of successful businesses. And I thought I understood everything that there was to know. And I, I it was kind of like the golden boy. I couldn't do any wrong. And I came to help a couple of friends that had built this, um, this business and they were struggling and I came into it and said, I can turn this around. I can, I can fix this. And I tried for two years and I, I couldn't do it. I, the business, we just had to shut it down at a certain point. Like, and that was a really, that was harder than anything else that I had ever failed at in my life because I failed friends and their dream, the thing that they, they really wanted to work. And I really wanted to work for them. And I'd come in with all this confidence and belief that we could do it and, and to not be able to, to do good on that just, just showed that to your point, like whether it's talent or luck, I, there's a large amount of luck involved in everything in life. Right. And there's a bunch of different types of luck. There's preparation meets opportunity. There's just being in the right place at the right time. There's destiny. There's, there's all these things. And all you can really do at the end of the day, I've learned is just try to stack the deck as much in your favor as possible, but realize that there's, there's always the, the skull card in the deck somewhere and you're going to get it. And you have to, you have to take that lump and learn from it because it's inevitable. So uh, I think Tom Bilyeu says that learning or failure is the most data rich stream of information in the world. And so you have to look at your failures and say, this is an opportunity to learn and grow in a way that my successes will never give me. So I need to make, I need to honor the loss by learning everything I can from that loss. Yeah, I think that's, that's incredible. So you had this, this experience, you stepped in, you said for two years to try and kind of turn this business around. Um, I, I'm assuming it was just money. It was like, it was done. It wasn't doing what it needed. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was just, it was, it was a passion project that was just losing money month over month. So what it was like to give context, it was a, a climbing gym. It was an indoor climbing gym that was dedicated specifically to young athletes, kids and young athletes that wanted to go on to be national level uh, or Olympic level athletes. Now, in one sense, we did succeed in the sense that one of the Olympic athletes that was in Tokyo this year was one of our, our, our students at, at one point. 
So cool. That was a success. And, and that's, that's maybe the best way to measure the success, but financially it was a failure. The business model just never worked. We couldn't figure it out and didn't have the, the skill, the experience, the ability, the, the humility to look at it and, and find the solution. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can see that those, those types of businesses are really tough. I mean, Oh yeah. I have a lot of experience in the, in the gym business and, and it's, it's, it's a grind <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and it's a, it's a, it can be an uphill battle the whole way because you know, it's, it's just, just the modeling of itself. So you, uh, what age did you start doing rock climbing? I started rock climbing when I was, Oh boy. I, I might've been like 22, 23. Oh, wow. I, was kind of, I was getting old. I was getting up there in the years. <laughs> For a rock climber, I mean, you, you got to be very, very agile and fit. And um, how long did it take you to get to the pro level? And, and what did that look like for you? I, I have watched the movies, right? The guys mm-hmm. and and you see them. They're literally living out of a van. I mean, that's that, it. Yeah. <laughs> it's like there's no glory here. You're, you're, just, no. you're just climbing and then staring at stars and cooking uh, or making coffee with a little fire and a campfire or whatever. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. I, I, I was climbing at a professional level within about two to three years. Wow. Um, and, I, and, on, and the thing there is I, I have a very athletic background. So there was a period in high school when I snowboarded. Um, I say semi-professionally. Um, so like I have a history of being able to pick up physical activities and climbing was just one of those things I was really well suited for um, and, and absolutely obsessed with. The thing is like there... He, you really, there's really no limit to what you can accomplish if you're obsessed enough. And that's what ADHD at the core has really allowed me to do is get really obsessed with things. Um, But at the end of the day, like not very many people really want to go live out in the, in the woods, you know, that many days of the year. So it takes a particular type of person, but it was perfect for me because at that point in my life, I didn't care about money. And, And even at this point, I don't care about money. Here's the thing. Here's what's really interesting about business and, and having these revenue goals or having these net worth goals. I just want to be done with the money game. This is something that I decided when I was living in that van. I said, I, am, I want to be done with the, with the money game. But the thing is, you can't give up something you don't have, right? And as long as you look at money and you think like, oh, I don't need that, whatever. Like you can't, you can't objectively say that until you have it. And then you can say, I'm done. Right. And so that was a lesson for me. Like I was living a life that was financially free. I was doing what I wanted. It put me really in debt. So like financially free and air quotes there. Right. Right. But I was living that lifestyle. And I came up to that moment where I was like, I I need to be done with money. But the only way to do that is to give it up. And the only way to give it up is to first win it. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, really good. You, you really remind me of my, my, my son's best friend, there's, they're 17, 18 years old, and he is pretty severe ADHD. And like he, I, I watch him do things he could be he there was a point where he was probably on the path to be like a professional scooter rider, whatever. <laughs> and then awesome. he, did, he did the climbing and, and, and he went to a gym with my son. And they're like, what are you doing not in here every day? Like this could be your career. And, and now he's into fo- photography. And I watched this kid and he's just like, I mean, blinders on mm-hmm. and he is 1000%. And I, I love flow state because I'm the guy that go, when I go mountain biking and snowboarding, I open new areas of my brain. When I'm yeah. out in nature doing those things, that's my flow state. I can't get a pencil to paper, but so many ideas and things and personal growth are happening when I'm in those elements. And I, I can't imagine having like a, 
extra tap in being able to do that more frequently. Um, but I think it's a super, I think it's a superpower, quite honestly. So tell me, um, you, well, real quickly, real quickly, yeah. I'm sorry. The, the thing I, you're, you're, what you're talking about there, like tapping into this other part of your brain in the flow state, like this is absolutely true. This is the anterior cingulate cortex, right? There's a part of your brain, which literally lights up and fires when you're in nature and it, it creates an ex more expansive mindset. You start making connections. And like, for me, I think creativity is the most powerful skill set in the modern era. Like if you want to be an entrepreneur or you want to be the best employee in the world, it's all about creativity. And I'm not talking about the ability to write, paint, or draw, or make music, anything like that. For me, creativity is the ability to take two or more unconnected pieces of information and put them together in new novel ways. Mm -hmm. And so what the ACC, the anterior cingulate cortex does is it starts to open your horizons and gives you the ability to make these lateral connections that when you're just in like your regular state of mind, you can't see. And so getting into nature, getting into that flow state is a powerful way to supercharge that, that aspect of your, your consciousness. Yeah. And I, I hope we kind of touch on that later because I want to talk about how you use your free time and what you do to kind of tap into some of those things. Um, you, you are undoubtedly big in real estate. And so we've talked about like a service industry. We've talked about professional rock climbing, um, manufacturing, which is like fascinating to me. And then this climbing gym that you kind of came in and tried to kind of take over and, and that, that failed. Were there any other failures along this pathway before you kind of, well, you wrote books, you best, best selling author too. I mean, like we're all over the board here, which is incredible. Um, what other things have you failed at that have really catapulted you into the right direction? Well, the writing is a really interesting one because, you know, I've written and published 13 books at this point, but there was probably close to 30 total written. Oh, wow. And so like the majority of them were failures, right? Like the majority of things that I wrote were so bad, like they just won't see the light of day. And so that's, that was a constant lesson of you dedicate yourself to the craft and the process without necessarily having any guarantee of what the outcome is going to be. And a lot of times the thing that you look back on, you're like, that was really good. That's my best work. Everybody else looks at it and they're like, that sucks. Uh, and you're like, that's the subjective nature of art. Cool. Um, but in business, you don't get to say, oh, that's the subjective nature of art. It's the market. The market's right always. And so you dedicate yourself to the craft of building a business and it is a craft, not necessarily knowing what the outcome is going to be. And I think that's like one of the most powerful takeaways that I've ever had, whether it's rock climbing or any of these other endeavors is just knowing, not knowing, like being okay in that state of not knowing that everything is going to work out. Yeah. I think that's why a lot of people think they want to own a business. They get into it and it's that unknown. It's like, uh-uh, I can't do this. Or usually quite honestly, it's a spouse or a loved one's like, I can't, I can't ride this roller coaster anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's hard. It's super hard. Um, Elon Musk said something I think is super cool. Not super cool, but it's super apropos, which is entrepreneurship is like chewing on glass and staring into the abyss. And eventually you stop staring into the abyss, but you never stop chewing the glass. That's <laughs> really true. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think anybody listening to this who is building a business or it's entrepreneurial in nature is going to be like, ding, ding, ding. Yes. I, yeah. They never heard that, but I can, I can definitely uh, relate to that and that feeling. Cause it is, it is like a, uh, a never ending roller coaster. 
I mean, quite mm-hmm. frankly, there's like one day will be a super high and the next day is like, I'm alone and I'm failing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And my, my belief is that everybody, everybody should own a piece of a business and a piece of real estate. Like if you want to be financially secure and like win that money game, those are the two things that you need to do, but not everybody has what it takes to be an entrepreneur, but I think everybody everybody would benefit from thinking and having the skills of thinking like an entrepreneur. Yeah. It, does that ever frustrate you? Cause it frustrates me. I like, look, I used to be a teacher and I, I just did not fit. I was not a good, I was, I actually think I was an awesome teacher. People told me I was a great teacher, but I did not fit in the teaching culture side mm-hmm. by side with other teachers who were there for going to be there for 40 years. Like you don't turn left, you don't turn right. You do this, you take your summers off. Like, it was like literally a personal hell for me to try and relate to those, those people. Mm-hmm. So even when I see people and they're like, no, I, I love my corporate job. I love my regular gig. And I'm like, if you only knew, I feel yeah. like I'm kind of like, uh, you feel like a crazy wall. person. Yeah. yeah. I do. yeah. You feel like you're taking crazy pills. Sometimes I, I, I take a lesson from the, uh, from the fact that you're not going to connect or be able to connect or help the majority of people because they're just not in the same they're not in the right place you're not in the right place you don't have the right experiences or perspective to to get through to them or they don't have the right experiences to get through to you like it goes both ways and so and this is the lesson for businesses don't don't try and sell the nose you know focus on the focus on the maybes focus on the hmm, maybe like those are the people that you know you can make an impact with and that's hard in a school like being a teacher you don't get to choose you just get you know, 30 kids turn on you and you're like, do your best with these 30 kids. But as you start to get to business and you start thinking about like, I need customers, like, hmm, don't, don't try and sell the no's. It's too much work. Go and find the maybes. There's plenty of the maybes. And so my thing is I'm not interested in helping you unless you're in a place where you're ready to be helped and you're already seeking it out. Because if you're not already seeking the help and and taking those first initial steps. And it's going to be a waste of both of our times. You're going to get frustrated because I'm going to be preaching at you and I'm going to get frustrated because you're not going to be listening. And so neither of us will be well-served. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so true. So true. I think so many times when we find something that we are passionate about and love and get super, super jazzed up about, and then we talk to other people and then it falls kind of on deaf ears or like, kind of like total, mm-hmm. you do what? Like, it's going to be so incredibly frustrating. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So yeah, go ahead. Oh, and, and Scott, the hardest, the, one of the trippiest parts is, is having employees. And my whole platform is built on build a business, own real estate and having employees then who hear that message every single day and they, they resonate and connect with you, but they still work for you. Mm-hmm. And you're like, what, what are you doing? Like you just, I want you here as long as it takes for you to realize that you can go on and do your own thing. Like, and they creates this weird dichotomy where I'm like, of course I want you to stay forever because you're great and awesome. But I also want you to get out of this nest and start listening to what I'm saying and not be here and go do your thing. Humans are funny. There's comfort in, there's more comfort in like knowing what's coming next than there is in the, in the thrill of not knowing what could come next, you Mm -hmm. know? And, and I, you have to have a real abundant mindset to, to run an employee, to have that mindset with employees. I remember the first time um, with my, my current crew, my, my lead manager uh, reached out to me and said, Hey, I, 
I want to stop. I want to spend about 20 hours a week building my own business. And the initial thing with is like, oh crap, I'm losing my, my You're gonna lose them. person, right? <laughs> and, and that's from a place that's not from a place of abundance. And it took, it, it takes a completely different mindset um, to do that. So do you think that businesses run better when, when leadership is very cool about building people up to let them go? I think you have to be, I think businesses succeed when they have the best interest of their employees always at mind. And your job as a leader is, here's a really interesting thing about leadership. Somebody phrased this the other day in a way that I, that really resonated with me. And it was when you're like the star on the team or doing this thing, like you get to be on the stage in the spotlight, but being a leader takes you off the stage and it puts you in charge of the spotlight. So now you get to decide and where to shine it and on who, and that's your job is to, to shine it on people and to amplify them. And if you really want to be successful in life, it's about your ability. It's, it's about how effectively you work with and through other people, because this game of life is too complicated and hard to go alone and you can't win it on your own. It's not a solo game. You need other people. And in business, especially like it's predicated on how skilled, how involved, how passionate the people around you are. And you can only inspire the best from people when they know that you have the absolute best interest in mind for that person. And that's going to, it's going to manifest itself differently. This is like the love languages thing, right? Like understanding what everybody wants is entirely different. And if you want to serve Jim, you need to understand what is it that Jim wants out of life? What are his hopes and his dreams? And it's going to be different than Kim. Like, what does Kim want and need? One of those might be to go and build their own thing. Awesome. Give them the skills and the support and the love to know that they can do that. Maybe the other person just wants security. They, for whatever reason, they're in a place in their life where they just want the security to come in, to, to know what to expect, but to do their best work within that context. And regardless of what the person, what their love language is, your job as the leader, as the, the CEO, is to deliver that to them. Yeah, I remember being, and that's so true. I remember being at a place where I came to the realization that I actually needed to hire people who eventually were going to be better at me than all the things that needed to be done. That was real freedom. It's like, look, I don't have to be the best at it. I remember I had a client ask me, well, how do you do X, Y, and Z? I'm like, I have no clue, but I have a team that knows. I have zero idea. Yeah, yeah. It has nothing to do with my ability to run a business. It just happens to know that I don't know that part of business. So that kind of leads into my next question because I do, I'm not seeing a parallel. The only con- consistency I'm seeing is your ability to focus in and learn and, and adapt and execute because I'm not seeing a parallel from a, a recurring stream of um, uh, revenue from window washing to <laughs> to uh, <laughs> manufacturing to that. Now I think, you know, it seems like you're big and big in real estate. And so mm-hmm. are these complete pivots? I'm sure you learned a lot from each thing that helped you with the next one, but how did you get into real estate? You, you had these other really great things going for you. So yeah, you're looking for the through line in a world, in a place where there isn't one. Mm-hmm. And this took me a long time to, for myself to figure out. And it's something that's very weird to look back on and be like, Hmm, what is the through line? And here's, here's the thing is until very recently, I would say in the last handful of years, 
I was doing all these things, building these businesses, writing these books, all these things that um, I was seeking. I was seeking something. I was seeking to fill something inside of me. And that really started, like the story that I tell is when I was 13, um, I was a competitive chess player, which is an interesting thing for somebody with ADHD. But it was something, my dad, he was military and he was gone a lot. When he was home, we would play chess. And that was a way that him and I connected and bonded. When I was 13, I was playing in the South Dakota State Chess Championship and my parents had just been divorced. And my dad was living a couple hours away and he had custody of us every weekend, me and my sisters. And he would make that drive as a four hour drive one way every weekend. And he, that weekend, he came up, picked me up, took me to the chess tournament and dropped me off. And he's like, okay, I'm going to take your sisters. We're going to go to Cinnabon. <laughs> and I was like, you're not coming to the tournament. <laughs> what is this? And so I went in. And I played and I, I won. And I remember at the end of the tournament, getting into the car with my dad and my sisters, and I had this trophy and I put it in the back seat and I get in the front seat with my dad and he goes, how did you do? And I said, I won. And what he said next are words that like really defined, I would say my entire life up to this point, which was good. You were supposed to. And those are really, that's, that's a really hard thing to hear when you're a kid, because it wasn't good job. Kudos. I knew you could do it. I believed in you way to go. It's not about the effort. It wasn't, it was this, you were supposed to. And so I took that mindset into everything moving forward. And when you're expected to be the best at everything that you do, you never get to this point where you get to celebrate that. And look back and say, I did this. Huzzah. I, I'm, I, feel, I feel good now. It was always, yeah, you won that, but you were supposed to. And I think about this now in the terms of there's the science of achievement and there's the art of fulfillment. And the science of achievement is really straightforward. If you do X, Y, and Z, if you build your business in this way, if you um, practice and do these things, you're going to get good at this thing. It's, it's, just a, it's just a process. You do that thing. But fulfillment is different. It's the art and it's different for everybody. And you have to figure out how to fill that hole because fulfillment implies that you're not filled. You're not full. And the, the mistake I was making was I was doing all these things. I was achieving, thinking I could fill that hole inside of me with these achievements. But the problem is there are two entirely different mediums. If, achieve, if fulfillment is like concrete, it's a road and it has a pothole in it, it would be like trying to fill that pothole with achievement, which are noodles. You put noodles into the hole. It's not full. I mean, it's full of noodles, but it's not full of what it needs to be full of. And so as I was doing all these things, I was still seeking this fulfillment. This, this like Maybe if I build this business, maybe if I do that thing, maybe if I write this book, finally, that will be the thing that I look back and go, oh, that was enough. I, I, I feel fulfilled. I feel good. And it wasn't until I would say very recently in the last maybe four or five years where I started to understand that those things were disconnected mm. and that they always would be. And that as long as I kept attaching my self-worth and sense of fulfillment with my achievements, I was always going to be in this place where I think Tony Robbins says achievement without fulfillment is the ultimate failure. 
And that's what I felt like, like I was doing all these things and you can't, you can't go to people and be like, I feel empty. I don't know what's wrong when they're like, Oh, suck it up buttercup. You just won that thing. Right. And so real estate was this new opportunity. And it was the first endeavor where I really went into it that this in the manufacturing company, this actually started kind of around the same time where I went into them with the mindset, like, I don't care about the numbers or the growth or any of that really what it's about is impact and maximizing my, my return on impact. Like how can I do something that matters? And real estate was a way of doing that because we're vertically integrated. So that, what that means is we have property management company in-house. We handle our residents in-house. We handle our families in-house. And so we get to serve our residents, we get to serve the, the employees and the families of our employees. And then we also raise uh, private equity for these assets. So we get to serve our investors too. And I started looking at things from that lens. And that's really when like things started clicking because they weren't really about me anymore. It's more about the impact that this company can have. And what's really cool about real estate is that everybody, everybody, has some kind of relationship with real estate. So theoretically, the limit of our impact is endless. There is none, Yeah. right? And so that's why I'm playing in these waters now. And this is why I find entrepreneurship so interesting, why I talk so much about it is because like these are the areas where I can have the most impact. And for me, when I'm learning and I'm growing and I'm lit, when I mentioned before, that which we can be, we must be. Like I recognize I have this greatness. I want to get as close to it as I can, but I'm only ever doing that when I'm learning and growing and impacting. And so again, really long convoluted answer, but you know, I already, I already warned you. <laughs> really good lesson. Like there's so much to unwrap with that. So true. <laughs> Finding almost your personal flow of like you said, impact, like, why am I do this? The bigger, greater mission, the, bit, the bigger, greater vision. I never thought of real estate with the basically infinite impact you can have. And that's a really cool, cool outlet. Like me, I'll be honest. I've always, always for years and years been incredibly interested in, in real estate. And, and, you know, once was flipping homes and coming in and, and taking down and fixing. And then, you know, it changes what that is. But then I look at the, like I, I start to look at the entire process and I'm like, oh my gosh, there's so much information out there. <laughs> it's like, and I'm a hands-on learner. It's like, just, I just let me buy something and do it because I'll figure it out. Uh, so you, you obviously had a, a big learning curve and your real estate is, are you like a multi-door kind of guy? Are you an apartment kind of guy? What, where's your niche at this point? Yeah. So we focus on multifamily assets between, or I'd say, we, we really like the sweet spot of 15 to 60 units. Okay. And that's, that's the type of apartment building we love. Yeah. Yeah. That's very, it's really cool. I'm absolutely fascinated about it. <laughs> I want to pivot a little bit because you, you've already given us so many nuggets to, to kind of, uh, to absorb and take on, but I really want to kind of dig into like you as an entrepreneur, how you personally operate and the things that you find that help you, have, you know, you are successful in, in a lot of people's definition, absolutely successful. I mean, one person to sell one book, to publish one book would be a massive success, right? And we're, we're talking multiples. So um, like what, I just want to hear kind of what your thoughts are on um, 
things that you do, what is something you do every day that you feel everybody should do to move the needle in their business, their personal life, their, their personal um, growth? That's easy. It's an easy one. I was afraid as I wouldn't have a good answer, but this one's easy. Uh, journaling, writing. Mm-hmm. So, and this is your, your audience might be like, wait a minute. The writer says I should write. Not very original, but here's the thing. You were a teacher, so you probably understand this way better than most people do, which is that the school systems, it's not really designed to teach you how to think. It's really designed to teach you what to think. And the problem, this, I, I know I'm like a quote machine. I like to quote everybody else because they say smart things. But one of my favorite quotes is, the problem isn't that Johnny can't read. The problem isn't even that Johnny can't think. The problem is that Johnny mistakes feeling with thinking. And this is in a nutshell. I say, I think one of the biggest problems facing us as a culture is that we conflate emotions and feelings with thinking. And for me, this is a convoluted answer to the question of like why journaling or writing is so important. Thinking is hard. It is a very slow, cumbersome process. And unless you've ever had to sit down and really wrestle with what you think on a topic, the chances are you've never really truly thought it through. I know for myself, my mind is a chaotic maelstrom of ephemeral thoughts just flying in and out every, every other minute. And if you've ever tried meditating, you realize just how like out of control that can feel. Well, writing and journaling, what that is, is it's making that ephemeral thought manifested into reality. And you're having to go through the medium of your hand and your fingers to slowly, cumbersomely draw out what you truly think on a topic one word at a time. And so this is a tool to help you think better, to think more clearly and to come to a better understanding of what you believe is true in the world, because there are infinite truths. You have to decide and find it for yourself what's true for you, but you can't do that unless you can think very clearly. So for me, journaling, writing, they're the quickest and most powerful tools for doing just that. So what do you, do you have like a formula formula? Is there something you're writing every day or is this a free flow? I just got to get it out there. This is free flow. I, I, so I do, a, I do a bunch of different types of writing. And the, the goal is to always understand what is the desired end state. So when I'm talking about this type of writing, what this is is stream of consciousness, pull up a Word doc or get a notebook and just start writing on a topic. Set for yourself a goal, a, a topic that you want to think about. Like, what do I think about the current state of the, the, um, the political climate? Or what do I think about global warming? Or what do I think is the best investment? Or what do I think about my partner and why we fight so much? Like whatever it is, like pick a topic that you want to think about and put that down and then just start writing. And it's like, um, dot, dot, dot. I guess I want to think about what it means to be a responsible leader in the workforce and how I can serve my people. Honestly, I don't know where to even start, but I guess the first thing that comes to mind when I think about leadership is this concept that I heard on this podcast the other day, this guy said something about a spotlight that really resonated, blah, 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 blah. And suddenly the thoughts start to flow more quickly. And by the end of it, you look back and you're like, holy crap, 
I didn't realize I, I thought that much about this thing. And that's a really cool moment. So don't, don't restrict yourself. This is the problem. I think too many people get into, they, they let their inner critic, um, censor their thoughts. Yeah. And that's not what the writing process is about. There's two processes when it comes to writing a book, there's the writing process and there's the editing process. Both are equally important. They cannot happen at the same time. So don't censor yourself, just write whatever. doesn't matter. Word vomit, get it onto the page. And after you have it on the page, then you can manip manipulate it. Yeah. Yeah. That's really good. You, uh, you have a lot of, um, well, actually let me rewind. I love hearing everybody's like, I, this is one of my favorite things. I love hearing what everybody does. And I almost, I almost take away too much. Like it's like, oh, <laughs> too much to do. But I am somebody and I, I can really relate to this because I'm somebody who, if I'm going to just sit there and have something I have to write about, it's not going to happen. If I just allow myself to get going, it's incredible what shows up. Mm -hmm. But some, you know, so, and I'm, and sometimes I just don't get into that flow. And I would think maybe that practicing that daily, you'd actually get into the flow much faster. You'd much get way more um, out faster and faster as you went on and on. Cause then you start to trust yourself. You just, like, just yep. trust the process. And, really and remember like too, that growth always happens just outside your comfort zone. Yeah. You don't grow inside your comfort zone and the sweet spot. Like it's not, you're not pushing wildly outside your comfort zone because then you're just stricken with fear and terror and you can't make progress and you're probably going to die. So the key is to push just a little bit outside your comfort zone, but recognize that means you're going to spend a lot of time in a, in a state of perpetual discomfort. Yeah. Always feeling like you're just a little bit too far over your skis, but that's where growth happens. Yeah. Actually when I'm uh, an author, I like just wrote a, a uh, something about that yesterday on social media, talking about being too far in front of your skis. And I thought it was a really good, I don't remember if it was author. Well, I don't remember, but it was, I thought it was a great analogy. You have been a physical, a physical person your entire life, snowboarding, rock climbing. Do you still uh, use physical outlets to, um, to, I mean, do you still do those things? I, I climb occasionally these days. What, so my obsessive nature gets me locked onto the next thing. Right. And I like to pursue it until I don't believe I can grow any further. And so I, I, and the thing with athletic endeavors is that there's usually a point when you clearly can't progress any further. Like I hit my physical peak, probably not going to be as strong as I was 10 years ago. Okay. So there's that. I can always learn more technique and more experience and improve. But for me, uh, the new thing that I picked up last year, like the perfect COVID activity is tennis. Oh yeah. I'm, offici I'm officially an old man, but it it's so much fun because it's, it's fun to be a, a beginner and it's fun to suck. Like truly, because as you start to progress, you forget just the sensation of learning and growth. And I, I had been a really good rock climber for a long time. And that was like my primary physical activity, but I hadn't really learned and grown in a long time. And so going back to an activity now where I've never played a ball sport, I've never really hit things with a stick. And so I'm like learning how to do that. And I'm like, man, I really suck at this, but it's awesome because it's, it's, there's infinite opportunities for growth at this point. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I like, I love that because before we even started, we push record, we were talking about the picture of the bison on the back of the wall and the story yeah. of, of kind of like running into the storm. Like, so you get through it faster. It has less effect on you. Kind of just like embrace discomfort. Is that something you live by? I mean, cause if you're picking up a sport just because now you're having to learn it and you, and you have all these new uncomfortable things you have to do, is this a way of uh, operation for you? 
Yeah, I think it is. It's it's like the Marine idea of embrace the suck. I think that's Marines. But like, hey, that's life. Like life, there's life is going to throw a lot of suck at you. You can't dodge it. It's coming at you. So you might as well open your arms and embrace it and make the best of it. And if you can build the habit like the bison of running into the storm and always running into the suck, you become very competent. And the amount of suck that life has to throw at you for it to really do damage becomes so much higher. Now, that doesn't mean it can't. Like if I get the call right now that my dad died, I'm going to be really bummed. That's a lot of suck to take on. I'm probably not ready for that, but I'm ready to take on way more suck now than I was 10 years ago. And my goal is to continually being like continually uh, escalate my ability to take heavier and heavier loads upon my shoulder. And I think for me, and this isn't for everybody, but I think that's like how I measure success in life mm. isn't based off of anybody else's measures or money or, or success, uh, like business success. It's, it's simply, ha- am I better than I was yesterday? Have I improved in some way? Not physically, not monetarily, maybe spiritually. Like there's all these different ways you can measure it. And all I'm looking for is like, can I just be plus one better? And this, this is the most impactful theory or a framework that I ever encountered. And this, this was really a pivotal moment in my entire life, which was from Maslow again, because he's my homeboy. He says, imagine that you're standing on a road and in front of you, this road just goes off into the distance, into the horizon. And at these intervals, these regular intervals, there's these signs and each sign says plus one, plus one, plus one. And if you were to turn around and look behind you, that same road goes off into the distance and there's signs again, but they all say negative one, negative one, negative one. Now recognize that in every moment, in every decision, you have the opportunity to make the plus one or the minus one decision. You can either move forward or you can move back, but you can't stand still. And the thing is, when you make a negative one decision, you're not just making one step back, but you're also denying yourself the opportunity to take a step forward. So now you're two behind. Now, if you were to imagine your perfect self that always made the right decision, that always made that plus one decision, he would be so far ahead. You would never catch him. You can't catch him. So if you're judging yourself against that person, it's game over. All you can do is judge yourself against who you were just a second ago on that last decision and say, okay, I made that negative one decision then. Now I'm going to make a plus one decision. And if you just keep making the plus one decisions, even if that means you just come out one better at the end of the day, not even 1%, just plus one better at the end of the day, that's progress and that's growth. And for me, that's that's what fulfillment feels like. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I'd never heard that. I really like that analogy. It really gives you like, and and it also gives you freedom that if you don't, your, that decision isn't a plus one, like just turn around and keep going. Like just keep, Mm -hmm. uh, Austin, you know, somebody, you know, he's the one that introduced us, Austin Linney. He, he said something that really, really resonated with me. He said, um, you know, I just, I'm just tired of people having bad days you have a bad moment, have a bad experience, have a bad this or that, but the rest, that doesn't mean the day is, is ruined. And it sounds, I mean, that's pretty much what you're saying is yeah, you might have one thing go where you go minus one, but like stop there and and focus forward. So I think that's, uh, it's been really encouraging to me to kind of reframe how we look at what, you know, we see as a failure in a day. Right. Yeah. I, I heard this, this way of conceptualizing this the other day that I thought was really cool. Like imagine you have $1,440. Now imagine somebody came up and say, I mugged you and I took 10 of your dollars. Would you 
spend your remaining $1,430 trying to get back at me? <laughs> no, you wouldn't. Now, instead of thinking about dollars, those are minutes. That's how many minutes you have in a day. So if somebody takes 10 of your minutes and drains it down the toilet, are you going to waste the remaining 1,430 minutes you have in, in the day worrying about that $10 you lost? No, you're going to move on and recognize that every, every opportunity, every moment is the opportunity to, to change. Yeah. 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 That's, that's really good. You, you, um, you, you cannot do all the things you do and have been successful at without learning. What is your current, like what, if you were to kind of like reflect, what's your favorite way to learn? Is it podcasts, books, um, YouTube videos? I mean, I know you do podcasts, so, but, but when you really want to get into something, what's your number one? For me, it's reading. Reading is my, I, you get, you guys can't see it. Like you can see a couple of books in the background on the other wall. There are thousands and thousands of books and I've read every single one of them. Um, I am a voracious reader. This is something that was instilled in me when I was very, very, very little when I had ADHD. So the thing with ADHD, when I was six, the teachers thought I was slow. And so they tested me. And that's when I got the ADHD diagnosis. And this was at the time when they were just like giving out Ritalin, like it was candy. Right. And Ritalin had this side effect on me where it just put me into that hyper-focused state constantly. I couldn't get out of it. And so what my parents would do is they would just keep feeding books to me. Mm-hmm. And that's, there's worse habits. Like there's worse things that could have like stuck. But for me, reading is, is the way. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's awesome. I, I kind of figured that, I mean, you, you write, so, and you have a lot of quotes at the tip of your tongue, which is really impressive. I really like that. A little jealous, but that's pretty, that's pretty incredible. Do you have like a, a little bit of a photographic memory? I have, um, yeah, I have a really good memory. <laughs> I, I, I have a really bad short. So here's the interesting thing is I have really bad short-term memory. Hmm. Uh, but once it gets into my long-term memory, it's gone, it's there forever. So that's, that's really cool. Um, okay. So last question I really uh, want to ask, and, and uh, it's a silly one, but it's still, there's, there's lessons wrapped in silly questions too. If you could go back in time and share one piece of advice with yourself, what would that be? So going back to that chess analogy, that story where I shared when my dad said, good, you were supposed to, it took me a long, long time to see the actual, the love that was baked into that statement. And it was a chip on my shoulder for a long time. And if I could go back, I would tell myself, it doesn't mean what you think it means right now. And it took me a long time and a lot of hurt and a lot of bad feelings to get to a place in my life where I could create a friendship, a deep, like my dad is my best friend now, but it took me a long time to get to that place because I was so hurt by the divorce and by the way that he wasn't there all the time. And that when he was there, he wasn't super emotionally connected and I couldn't see it. But like when I mentioned before that he drove four hours one way every single weekend to see me and my siblings, it, I, that didn't register with me until I was much, much older Mm -hmm. to recognize just what that meant. And even though he wasn't there and talking about emotions and like really like getting gushy with me, that wasn't how he was showing his love. And that statement, when he said, good, you were supposed to, it wasn't, a critique. It wasn't an expectation. It was him and his recognition of the greatness that he knew I had in me. He just didn't have the words to express it in a way 
that didn't cause pain at that moment. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. So it's, a, it's just a, almost a misinterpretation that took years to reevaluate and figure out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's cool. I love it when I hear people say like, my dad's my best friend. Cause that's how I feel. It's like incredible <laughs> closeness. And I wish everybody had it that way because it's, inc- it's an incredible feeling. Mm-hmm. All right, man, Anthony, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for giving us some time. I appreciate you giving me the space to, to share my story and uh, hopefully it brings somebody some value out there. So thank I, you. I, I'm taking away <laughs> a lot of stuff already. So I, I really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Stories That Sell podcast. If you appreciated the content on the show, be sure to leave a rating and review and subscribe to hear interviews with incredible guests each and every week.